As I look around, uh, you look like a pretty typical crowd of Americans. Now, if that's the case, let me tell you what the American Bible Society has discovered about you, if indeed you are typical. Most of you own a Bible. About 80% think the Bible is sacred. I wouldn't be surprised if in this crowd it might be a little, little more than that. 61% of you wish that you read your Bible more, and uh, each of you owns 4.4 Bibles. I'm not going to ask what you did with the other six-tenths of a Bible, but <laughs> if you're in that group that does read your Bible, the majority of you read it four times a year or less. Only about a quarter of you say they read their Bibles on a regular basis, meaning four more times a week. And if you're in the younger set, 18 to 28, almost 60% of you read your Bibles less than three times a year, if at all. Now, I don't know if you all are typical. I hope as you heard those statistics that, that you were saying, no, no, we're, you know, I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm more committed than that. I hope that's the case. And yet, when we look at the church in general, we look at the authority of the Word of God, we look at the power that seems to be in the church and the influence of the church and society in general, one has to wonder where it is sometimes if indeed we hold in our hands the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Let's read together this passage, and just by way of context, this is the third week in a row we've read the same passage. In Ephesians, we have seen that this was a church that was a minority in, uh, in a society where the society was hostile towards it. And so, in that, the apostle is encouraging them first with their identity and of, of how loved they are by God through Jesus Christ. And then of their great salvation and then of the need for unity uh, in those within the church. And in this section, you'll see, because I'm going to begin with that word one more time, he says, finally, and so as he's winding down this letter, he wants them to 
hear about the spiritual warfare that's going on all around them, be reminded of that, for that to stick with them. He wants them to know the nature of the evil one and yet to know that because of the armor of God, which his people, the Ephesians, and we who are his people possess, that we are protected. And so let's read beginning with verse 10 in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as as shoes for your feet. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. So, Lord, you have equipped us. And some of us aren't using the equipment. Lord, will you lift us up with encouragement to do so? To see our great need. To appreciate that you've not left us without help. But indeed, we are protected when we are in you. And so will you cause your spirit to teach our hearts. To mold them into conformity with Christ himself. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. Let's jump right into it. He speaks of the weapon. The sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the Word of God. What Spirit is referred to here? It is the Holy Spirit. Now, we see elsewhere in Paul's writings, he talks about the the relationship of the Spirit to the Word of God and 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 in terms of where this word came from. And that's where we've got to start. If this is is familiar ground to you, good. 
If this is new ground to you, it is essential for us to understand. If we're going to understand the, the uh, importance of the Bible, the authority of the Bible, we have to begin with where's the authority come from? It comes from its author. And so we read in 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, uh, he says how from childhood uh, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 16 he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now some of your versions say there is inspired by God. Breathed out is, is a great translation of that. But we don't want to give up on the word inspired. That's our theological word, that uh, the, the Bible is inspired. It's infallible, it's authoritative because of its author. But the idea of inspired, uh, it's a right translation that it is, it's breathed out. Um, the word there is a, a combination word where it's literally God and breath. God breathed. And so here's not what it is, okay? I'm going to tell you what inspiration is, because it sounds like inspiration would mean there's something here, and then God breathed something into it. In other words, maybe he found a good book or a bunch of good writings, and then he, he blessed it and caused it to uh, uh, be then his word. That's not the idea. What it is, is it is breathed out by God. So that's absolutely where it comes from. Now, uh, another, another passage that is maybe not as uh, uh, familiar or people don't go to as much, 2 Peter 1.21, it says this, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy, and that's speaking of the Word of God, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to hone in on here is that phrase, carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the same word that is used over in Acts 27. We, we went through the, the book of Acts here. And in Acts 27, I know you remember, but let me just tell you what was going on there. There was a, there was a storm, and uh, Paul is on uh, a ship, and a northeaster comes in, and they can't fight the storm. And so uh, he, he says... Basically, uh, this is what they did. Uh, we gave way to it and were driven along by the wind. Now, that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with the, the Word of God. But that, word, that phrase, that Greek word, driven along, is the same word that is used over in 2 Peter where it talks about being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's the point. With the ship, the ship was out of control. It wasn't, it, it wasn't the captain of the ship. It wasn't any of the sailors on the ship. It wasn't the rudder. None of, none of that 
was causing it to go where they wanted it to go, but instead the wind was what was driving it along. When it comes to the Word of God, it's not man's will or man's thoughts, but God's Holy Spirit that drove them along and guided them to where the Word of God is now in our hands because of that. So, we see the Word of God, God's way of communicating uh, with us, which has ordinarily been through the written Word. Now, linguistically, and, and this is going to be the end of our language lessons today, but linguistically, there's two primary words that could be translated word here. There's the big one. You, you may have heard the word logos at some point, and that, that refers to Christ as the living word. It generally refers to the whole of the Bible. That's not the word that is uh, used here in Ephesians uh, 6, where he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's very closely related to it, but the word that's used here is a much more specific word, and indeed a much more specific portion of Scripture. So when he says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that word there is something like a phrase of Scripture or a passage of Scripture. So he's uh, here, instead of talking about the Bible as a whole, he's basically saying something like John 3.16 or the 23rd Psalm is the sword of the Spirit. Now we know that the whole of the Scripture is as well. But we mustn't minimize the power of verses and passages in the Scripture, and that leads us to understanding the effectiveness of this sword of the Spirit. Why is the Word of God equated with an offensive weapon? This is the first, you know, in the uh, armor of God, it's all been defensive up to that point. It's been protective up to this point. But here we have the Word of God, and it's called a weapon that which is not only defensive, but offensive as well. The sword that Paul speaks of here, uh, again, the word that's used is uh, one of the, the short swords you've seen, the movies and so on, that they would use uh, in battle. Now, how effective is it? Well, I want to go back a couple of weeks in terms, when we were talking about spiritual warfare, we're not going to totally revisit, but in Matthew 4, we see Jesus when he is out in the desert, and we see spiritual warfare going on. And here's what we discovered took place how he used the Word of God in resisting Satan. By the way, it was small portions of the Word of God, wasn't it? Here's what we saw. He did not listen to a wrong use of Scripture. It was part of it. He understood a right use of Scripture. He rightly quoted Scripture to Satan, and to that, Satan had no answer. 
he had to move on to something else. How powerful is the Word of God? Satan has no equivalent weapon. The best he can do is take that weapon and try to twist it and cause it to be unknown or misunderstood. Now remember, that was Jesus, though. I want to give you a caution here. Uh, remember, we, we said that Satan is not omnipresent. He's not equivalent with God. He is not everywhere. So it's unlikely that if you are dealing with spiritual warfare, you're dealing with temptation and so on, it's unlikely that it's Satan himself who is attacking you. Um, but I, I know how we talk. We say, well, that's Satan. But the reality is it's probably one of his demons, one of his devils that is uh, attacking you if you're dealing with spiritual warfare. <coughs> but here's my caution. If you're feeling attacked, don't engage with the evil one or his spirits. Don't engage with them. I think he'd like for us to do that. And I've been in prayer times when someone right in the middle of us praying to God would say, and Satan, I rebuke you with, and then quote a verse. Maybe you've been in that kind of a, uh, a prayer time as well. Let me tell you what that's like. Do you remember call waiting? Do they still have call waiting? Well, uh, I don't know. You know, if any of you ever did this to me, don't worry. I'm, I can't remember you doing it to me. But I always thought that was rather rude, you know, when you're, when you're talking to somebody on the phone and you're having some kind of a conversation and then you hear a little beep and they say, oh, wait a minute, I've got another call coming in. And it's like, well, who am I, you know? So was the other call an emergency? Oh, no, that was, yeah, I just had to pick up bread on the way home. You know, so, and I always thought, well, that, that's rather rude. Well, here's the thing. To stop in the middle of a prayer when you're talking to God and to talk to Satan is cosmic call waiting, Okay? And I think it's more than just rude. It's foolish. You don't need to be rebuking Satan. If Satan needs a rebuke, if you're feeling attacked, you talk to the one who can handle him. You can't handle him. You don't know which Scripture uh, will put him down. And so you ask the Father to rebuke the evil one to protect you from the evil one. That's, that's spiritual warfare, and that's our part in it. Now, let me take you to another uh, description of the word's effectiveness. Uh, you, you, I couldn't preach this sermon without looking at uh, Hebrews 4.12 briefly. Hebrews 4.12 it says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, there it is again, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit 
of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So he begins by saying the Word of God, of God is living and active. It's the opposite of the, the Word of God or the Bible is dead and inactive. It is living because it's the Word of the living God. And God is still working today. He preserved it not just for uh, the folks in Ephesus, not just for uh, Old Testament saints, not for just for the early Christians. He preserved it for us today in 2015. It's for all generations until Jesus comes back, till the Word Himself comes back. And then it says, sharper than any two-edged sword. The idea is, uh, you know, there's a difference between a thrusting sword where it doesn't, it's not really sharp on the edges, but, you know, it, you, you rely on the point. Um, and and a, a, a carving sword, let's call it that. You know, one where the, the little boys in the congregation are going to love this part of the con- this uh, sermon. So, anyway, it's it's you sharpen both sides, and then you you hit, and that doesn't mean you can't pierce also, because that's the next word here. But the idea is something that will cut through uh, because it's that sharp. And this is what it says, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow. So here's the idea. It's like that sword with the double edge that will hit and go through the skin, the bones, to the marrow. That's how effective this weapon is is. And so what's he talking about here? What's the author of Hebrews talking about? He goes on and says, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's the idea. If you are faithful in considering the word, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute, your heart can't hide from the truth of it. Now you can ignore it, You can refuse to handle it and in that way hide from it. But if you rightly use it, it is a gift from God that will not only deflect the evil one, but it will keep you from self-deception. In other words, thinking you're way better or more powerful than you really are. It'll protect you from that. I've often said that I think God puts the weakest ones in the pulpit, and that's not because I, I want to sound like I'm humble, but because we have to deal with, with the Word every, every day before we get up here. And I need that. I absolutely need that. He says, again, and I, I read earlier about all Scripture being breathed out by God in 2 Timothy 3.16. But then it goes on to talk about how useful it is. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice especially that last part, equipped for every good work. Let's say you're getting ready to take a trip, a big trip, maybe overseas. And, uh, you know, I don't care how many trips I've gone on. Here's what happens when I'm headed to the airport. At some point between here and whatever airport I'm flying out of, I get a little sick feeling in my stomach. And I think, what have I forgotten? And you know what? The fact is, Usually there's something that I have forgotten. Now, I can't, usually can't remember what it is at that point, but at some point during the trip, I, I find out, oh, I didn't bring a razor, you know, or something like that. Uh, fortunately, I've never forgotten my passport or, or something like that. But suppose somebody came uh, and, and said, you know, you're getting ready to go on, on this trip. Here is a packet with everything you need for your trip. And so you say, well, thank you very much, and you take it, and sure enough, you get to the airport, there's information about your flights and directions and so on, and then uh, you're going through security, and there is your ID, and there is your passport, and so on, and all the way through, all the way to the other country, and there's a, you know, you got your visa or your country entrance form already, and all of your contacts over there. And, and sure enough, all the way through, it was everything that you needed. And, and you get all the way back home and, and uh, it had thoroughly equipped you for that. How great would that be? How foolish would it be if the person said to you, here is everything that you need. And you said, oh, no, I don't, I don't. I don't need that. I'll take care of things. Well, for me, it'd be absolutely foolish because there would be things that I did not have because of that. Paul is saying, in our journey through this life, through what God calls us to do in this life, that the Bible is the most relevant book in the world. And it's got everything that you need to equip you for whatever you're going to face. How foolish if we ignore that. If we let that go and try to just make it on our own. If it's the most relevant book in the world, how foolish would it be not to use it? And yet, what are you doing with your 4.4 Bibles? Let's apply it. Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want to give you three applications. You've, you've heard these. If you've been in church uh, during your life, you've heard these over and over again terms of application. It starts with reading and studying the Bible. There is no such thing as biblical osmosis. 
Just because you have 4.4 Bibles doesn't mean that you're going to know a lot about the Bible. You can't put it under your pillow and hope you'll wake up in the morning and know it. There is nothing that replaces reading it. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. Here's what I, want to cha- I would love to challenge you to read the Bible in a year or to read the Bible every single day. That's what I would like because it would make everyone in this room more healthy spiritually. But I'm not even going to challenge you to that. I want to instead give a challenge to everyone in this room that will immediately put you in the top 25% of those who own Bibles. In other words, reading it four more times a week. If you're reading the Bible every day already, just keep it up. If you're not, I want to challenge you to do this. This week, read 10 verses every day. 10 verses. If you do, and I'd encourage you, just do it in Ephesians. We've been studying this. One of the discouragements sometimes people have is they say, I don't, I don't understand what I'm reading. Well, We've been through this. If you read 10 verses a day by next Sunday, you'll, you'll be through Ephesians 3. 10 verses a day. And here's the thing. To read 10 verses takes you less than 45 seconds. Unless you're a really slow reader. You have 45 seconds a day to partake in that which will equip you for everything you have to face in this life? Of course you do. You just have to remember to do it and then to do it. Now, I'm not encouraging you to be satisfied with that, but that's where I want you to start if you haven't been picking up your Bible every day. Start with that this week. Tell me next week how it went. I won't make you raise your hand. How many of you did this? But, uh, or maybe I will. Yeah, that's what we'll do next week. So. <laughs> the second thing is uh, memorization. Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I know, I can hear it. I can hear your minds going, oh, I can't memorize anymore. I know. I, you know, I tend to say, that, oh, my mind's not what it used to be. Okay, here, here it is. Do you know your own phone number? Do you know how to get to your house from here? Do you know what time of the week your favorite TV show is on and what channel it's on? What channel your favorite sports team plays on? Do you know those things? If your answer to those was, no, I don't know those, then you're excused from (laughs) memorizing, okay? But if you know those things, you might say, well, that's because I've, I've, I've accumulated that over the years. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? That's the idea with the Word of God. Start small. Memorize slowly, but put the Word in there. Our problem is not so much inability as it's not even trying. 
not even seeing the need to do that. Thirdly, meditate, Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. But then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good, good success. One of the things I love about our community groups, and they're starting up again at the end of August, is that we have a message Sunday morning and then we get together and, and, and basically we meditate on, on uh, what we've talked about. In other words, we talk about it. We're thinking about it. Thinking deeper. And that's the idea of uh, continuing to do that. Let's go back to our uh, traveling for a moment. If you've ever been on an airplane, there's one thing that you can see without being very observant. You can see the person that's on their first flight, right? And if you've ever flown, then you've been that person. Because here's what, what happens. Uh, when the flight attendant gets up and welcomes people, and she, uh, you know, uh, points out the exits, you see the person, you know, going like this, and then she takes the, uh, you know, the seatbelt and shows how to do that, and they look and down, yeah, okay, yeah, and then, you know, says, you know, and the cushion you're sitting on can be a flotation device if we should happen to hit one of the farm ponds that we're flying over right now, you know. And, you know, they're, they're looking and getting all the instructions, and when they say, now turn off your electronics, they do it right then because they don't want to be the one that brings down the plane, you know. They get their seat up that one inch, you know. Seat belts, uh, seats backs up. Well, why is that? Well, it's because on that, on that first flight, they, they feel that urgency. And the urgency is, you know, I've got a, I've got a feeling that this flight's going down. <laughs> and when it goes down, I want to be equipped. I want to be ready. Now, I've flown enough now where I don't pay that much attention. I do look for that person, though, because I figure if we start going down, I'll just follow him wherever because <laughs> it's fresh in his mind, okay? So here it is. I'm afraid that, you know, we look at something like that as old hat and I'm afraid that we tend to treat the Word of God that way. You know, maybe when you were a new believer, you saw the urgency, you saw the need to grow, you saw, I've got to have this just to live. I don't know what a Christian acts like or how to get through this day or how to pray or how to do anything else. And so you read the, the Word of God, and then as time went on, you became that person that's flown a lot and you're kind of doing okay and not seeing the urgency anymore. Well, the plane crash will come. We have the need to hear from God whether the plane's going down 
or whether it's flying smoothly in our life. If we ignore the sword of the Spirit until something big happens, and then we realize our need at that point, we'll not only be left without the clearest voice of God because it's not already there, but we may not make it through that crisis. He has sent us this glorious love letter to His children. May He give us the desire and help us to know the absolute need to go to it every single day. Let's pray together. Thank you for this precious gift you've given to us, Lord. If we have taken it for granted, forgive us and help us not to do that even one more day. We ask that you would prompt us, you would strengthen us in Christ's name. Amen.